and they pick up on a promise and they say, well, I don't understand how this could ever happen, but it's God's promise and I'm going to trust it and I'm going to cling to it and I'm just going to believe it. And those are the ones who see great things happen for God. open your Bible with me to the book of Matthew. Go to the Gospel of Matthew. And we are in chapter number 13. And tonight, God willing, we're going to finish off this chapter with its eight parables. Hopefully, these have been a blessing to you. If you have not seen uh, the previous six, any of the previous six, you are missing out. And I encourage you, to uh, find them. You can find them on the internet, on previous sermons, previous church services, and uh, watch them. We've tried to do, uh, let me see now, how have we done these? We've done one, one, and we do, anyhow, over the last uh, week and a half or so, we've, we've done uh, six of them. Tonight is uh, the last two, and we're going to finish them up. And of course, it has to do with the kingdom of heaven. The Lord Jesus up till chapter 13, would preach his sermons and he would tell the people, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He would uh, give them every reason to believe in him as the Messiah, the, the very son of David. And he was there presenting the kingdom. And in chapter 12, he had just healed a man. And of course, people were saying, whoa, this could be him. And then the religious Pharisees and the leaders bent or twisted their minds away from this glorious truth and essentially accused Jesus of being in league with Satan. And apparently their mischief worked. It seemed to turn the hearts and minds. And so when they had rejected him as Messiah and they rejected the kingdom as well, that's when he all of a sudden started with these parables. And so he spoke of like a kingdom postponement and the church was going to come into existence. Now the kingdom of heaven really does involve the gospel. It always has. You can't get into the kingdom of heaven without the gospel. Uh, in John chapter 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of, of God. And so the gospel is very much a part, an important part of the kingdom of heaven. And the church is all about the gospel. The Lord Jesus in Matthew 28, before he went back to heaven, gave the great commission to the church. That's been given to us, folks. We're part of the church. And we have this great commission to take the gospel into all of the world. And so very much, very much the church is part of God's kingdom. It sure has been doing his work these last 2,000 years Folks, I hope we realize that it's not going to last another 2,000 years. It's not going to last another 200 years. We're not even sure it's going to last another two years before the Lord Jesus comes in the clouds and takes us back. Now listen, that is a precious truth in the New Testament. That is the Christian hope. There are born-again Christian people who do not believe in the blessed hope. They don't believe in that. And they believe somehow we're going to go through the the seven years tribulation, I feel sorry for them because there's no comfort there whatsoever. The rapture was a truth revealed 
later on after Jesus went back to heaven. It's not in the Gospels. We find it in 1 Corinthians 15. We find it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But it's not in Matthew 24 and 25. It's nowhere spoken of there at all. I know there are a lot of opponents to the rapture. But I'll tell you, listen to me. There are a lot of opponents to a lot of things in the Bible. There really are. I believe with all my heart that babies, when they die, they go to heaven. You know that there are Christian people that oppose that. And they actually believe that, that babies, when they die, they go to hell. They all go to hell. Born again Christian people believe that. Yes. I think there's a lot of confusion, don't you? We want to approach the scriptures very carefully. And one of the keys, and I've pointed this out more than once if you've been following these parables, is how did the 12 disciples understand what Jesus was saying in chapter 13? Did they understand what he was saying? Some modern commentators, they take truth that's only revealed years later in the epistles and they try to add it in to Matthew 13. That's a mistake. You have to take it where it's at. And the disciples in verse 51 indicated to Jesus, yes, they understood. And so we have to approach the parables here with that mindset of where they were. They knew nothing of a rapture. They knew nothing of some of the other New Testament truths the Lord revealed later on. They were still uh, growing as well. And so it's very important we understand this. So the kingdom of heaven is um, saved people with the Lord in control. And essentially, we're looking forward to that golden age when the Lord Jesus will be on earth in control. They'll be saved people. But the church plays an important part in this as well. And so... We're going to be looking at, uh, at the last two parables. We, we need to, uh, to have a word of prayer here and get started, okay? I, I, I don't want to go any further until we talk to the Lord, okay? So let's close our eyes now. Oh, loving Heavenly Father, we adore you and thank you so much that we have the whole Bible. Oh, we are so blessed. We have so much truth, Lord Teach us how to interpret it properly and not get hung up on something we don't understand or not get sidetracked or not get confused, but help us to, to examine the Scriptures so very carefully, hand in hand with the Holy Spirit, and comparing Scripture with Scripture. Lord, give us the wisdom we need. We thank you for all of the folks that are tuned in right now. We have a good number of people right now online Father, please bless us together. Encourage our hearts. Grow our faith. Help us to live for you and serve you in these crazy days. Maybe the last days before the world goes into the tribulation. Help us to reach out to friends and family and neighbors with the gospel. Help us to do what we can while we can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, um, very quickly, we have eight parables here. The first four parables uh, seem to be given to the multitude, to the unsaved multitudes.
uh, Jesus was in a little ship pushed off from the shore a bit. And this, well, it's actually plural, multitudes. There was a lot of people there that day listening to what Jesus had to say. He was the miracle worker, remember? And so everywhere he went, he seemed to attract great multitudes. But remember, these great multitudes were also the ones that crucified him. So let's not forget that. And so Jesus starts to preach these parables. And people are just not getting it. Because they weren't supposed to get it. The first four parables seem to be how the kingdom of heaven relates to the unsaved multitudes. The first parable was the parable of the sower. How the sower went forth and cast his seed abroad. And three quarters of that seed fell in areas that was no good. And either the birds came and snapped it up or the earth was so shallow uh, that the, the, the little seedlings sprung up and then died, withered in the, in the noonday sun, or the, the uh, weeds came and choked the, the daylights out of them. A lot of that, a lot of that happens. Some people, they, they, uh, they listen to the gospel, oh yeah, that's for me. And then before you know it, they're gone because the cares of this world has choked the life out of them. They produce no fruit, indicative that it's no good. And then, of course, the last area, they did bring forth quite a bit of good fruit. Isn't it wonderful when we see Christians bringing forth fruit? Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it glorious when we see lives transformed? I am so thrilled as a pastor for 40 years now. That's what really excites me and thrills me, is when I see someone who receives Christ, and then there's wonderful changes in their lives. They're learning how to pray. They're learning how to read their Bible. They're learning how to attend church faithfully. They're learning how to tithe by faith and then to support missions as well. Giving is an important part of our Christian lives. If you see someone who claims to be a Christian and they don't give to the Lord's work and they're not faithful in attendance and they rarely read their Bible and pray, are they really a Christian? Are they? Now, they might be. I mean, it's for the Lord to judge. But boy, I tell you something. When these people die, all they leave in the minds of their children and loved ones are question marks. Were they saved? Are they in heaven? Are they in hell? Where are they? Folks, it's when we live for Jesus and then we die and our children can say, I know my daddy's in heaven. I know my mommy is with Jesus. I know because of the life they lived. And that's what you want to do if you claim to be a born-again Christian. You want to make sure you cover all your bases. You want to make sure you're living for Jesus. You say, well, pastor, what if we don't like you? What if we don't like Grace Baptist Church? Well, my friend, you're under grace. You're not under law. You go to any church you want. But find one where you can put your roots down and bear fruit upward for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what you need to do. If you're not happy at Grace Baptist Church, then by all means, pull up your roots and go to another church, but find one and stick with it. There's no perfect church. If you criticize our church, you go to another church, it won't be long before you criticize that pastor, and you'll criticize those programs. 
Then you'll uproot and go someplace else. And before long, you'll criticize that one as well. No perfect church. Grace Baptist is not a perfect church, but it's a pretty good one. Not perfect, but we're pretty good. I, I'd, go, I, I'd go out on a limb and I'd say that we're pretty good, but we're not perfect. It's a nice place to call home, I'll tell you that. I've gotten to know a lot of churches over the years. I've been in a lot. I know a lot of pastors. I know a lot of Christians in a lot of different churches. I know a lot about churches. That's my specialty. And I've done everything in my power to make Grace Baptist Church as close as possible to conform to Scripture and to foster a good family, happy, loving spirit. I'm proud to be part of Grace Baptist Church, and I hope you are too. Well, the sower talks about how we got three quarters that turn out no good, and one quarter turns out good. But that one quarter turned pretty good, didn't it? Then the wheat and the tares. The wheat and the tares. The farmer sowed wheat, but an enemy came and sowed the tares. Those are rotten, lousy weeds, and what a despicable thing to do. And that's exactly like the devil, isn't it? He's a despicable monster. But what he's trying to do is he's trying to throw tares among the wheat. Trying to get people who look like they're saved in with the saved so that they can take over and cause harm and damage. That's what the devil's after. And of course, we've seen that sort of thing happen throughout church history and throughout churches today. People who claim to be born-again Christians, and yet in their heart, they're dirty little devils. And they know it. But their agenda is to overthrow good churches. And we have to be careful about that. Yes, we do. Then, of course, there's the mustard seed, the tiniest little seed that was thrown into a field, and it became this monster big tree. But what Jesus was getting at was that all of the crazy birds came and lodged in there. You're going to have that happen in the kingdom of heaven. And we've seen that in the last 2,000 years. And also in the millennial kingdom, there's going to be unsaved people like birds lodging in there. But then the final parable, the parable of the leaven, talked about the permeation of the leaven. That's the yeast, the rising agent. And how it went throughout all of the, the bread. And that's what we're going to see with the kingdom of heaven. It's going to happen, folks. It doesn't matter what people say, what they don't believe. It doesn't matter what's happening in the world today amongst governments. COVID-19 has no effect upon the purposes of God. The kingdom of heaven will take over the entire world. It will. We've got a lot of religions in the world, don't we? And we've got a lot of major religions with hundreds of millions of people. Some of them have over a billion people. Doesn't matter. The kingdom of heaven will take over the entire world. That is the plan of God. It will not be frustrated. Well, then we come to the second of the four parables. The first four seem to be given kind of to the unsaved multitudes. It sort of shows what's going to happen. But now these second four seem to be uh, showing how the kingdom of heaven relates to the disciples. The first four were given to the multitudes but the second four were not given to the multitudes. They were only given to the disciples. The Lord Jesus dismissed. After the first four, he dismissed the multitudes, went into the house, and then gave the next four parables to the disciples. 
And of course, we look at that on Sunday with the uh, parable of the buried treasure, a man who's working in a field. I'm just guessing he's a farmer. And all of a sudden, by accident, he finds a buried treasure. And it's not something he can just pick up and put in his pocket. It's so big that he has to leave it there. And so he runs and sells everything and he buys the field off the owner. Now he owns the field and he owns the treasure. And he found it by accident. And it's like salvation. Some people find Christ by accident. They were going someplace else and they ended up here and they heard the gospel. The Holy Spirit convicted their heart. They believed in Jesus. They got saved. It was kind of by accident. I say kind of because in the foreknowledge and the wisdom and sovereignty of God is nothing by accident. And of course, then the second one was about the merchant man who was in the pearl business. And he probably had a lot of pearls because over the years he'd been buying and selling them, looking for goodly pearls. And then one day he found the pearl of great price. And he sold everything. He said, I gotta have this. And he sold everything. And he went and bought that pearl of great price. Both men, the farmer and the merchantman, end up with a fortune. One founded by accident, the other founded on purpose. He was purposely looking for good pearls. And here's someone who's purposely trying to find God. They're reading the scriptures, they're attending church, they're looking for God. They found the Lord Jesus Christ. He really is our pearl of great price, isn't he? Amen? Amen, he is to me. I hope he is to you, your pearl of great price. Well, did you know that as you read the Bible, you can sometimes accidentally find some really wonderful things? And one of them is God's promise to answer our prayers. And it really, truly is an incredible find. And it's in there. There's several, several of them. There's a Psalm 37.4, there's Psalm 84.11, there's a, a Mark 11.24, there's John 15 verses 7 and 8. They're in there, folks. And that's just a few. There's a whole lot more that are in there. God's promises to answer prayer. Now, some Christians will look at those promises and they'll say, well, maybe it worked 2,000 years ago, but it doesn't seem to work today. Some will pick them up and will look at the promises and say, well, maybe for more spiritual people, maybe, but I'm no saint and I guess it's, I never will be and so those promises aren't going to work for me. But then there are Christians who realize that they are nothing and God is everything and God, when he makes a promise, he knows what he's doing and they pick up on a promise and they say, well, I don't understand how this could ever happen, but it's God's promise. And I'm going to trust it and I'm going to cling to it and I'm just going to believe it. And those are the ones who see great things happen for God. A man came to Jesus. He had a demoniac son. He'd probably tried numerous ways and means and methods to get his son healed. Nothing worked. He came to Jesus and the demon was, was so uh, upset that it, he was uh, tearing the boy and the boy was foaming and and kind of like fell at Jesus' feet, wallowing. And the father, in tears, said, Lord, if thou canst help us. Jesus said, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And you remember the man said, Lord, I believe, 
Help thou mine unbelief. And here's just a humble man, a dad, whose lad was in the grips of Satan and death. But he trusted in the promise of Jesus. And his boy was healed. Maybe there's a dad watching tonight who's having trouble with his lad. I can recommend to you no finer place than the word of God. God's promise. If you will take God at his word. There's lots of wonderful things you'll find by accident and on purpose as you study God's word. Now tonight we're going to finish off with the last two parables and that's fishing nets and householders. And so in Matthew chapter 13, please look with me at verse number 47. Jesus is speaking only to the disciples. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea. This is your fishing net. And gathered of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just. Here we have the fishing nets. This was a very familiar scene to the disciples. Jesus is in the house with the 12 disciples. Perhaps they're all sitting down and the Lord Jesus now comes out with another parable. And this one, number seven in the list, if you're counting, is the fishing nets. A very familiar scene to those disciples. And remember that many of those disciples were already fishermen. Their daddies were fishermen. Their granddaddies were fishermen. Their great-granddaddies were fishermen. You get the idea. And these uh, Galilean disciples sort of grew up on fishing boats. Maybe they were on fishing boats before they could even walk. You know, there are fishermen like that. You realize that. There are fishermen in the world today who learned how to walk on fishing boats. Their daddy was a fisherman. They grew up in boats on the sea or in the lakes. They know fishing. Boy, do they know it. And they have a sixth sense about where the fish are and how to get them. And it's always been that way for good fishermen. And so here was a very familiar scene. Now remember something. They were by the Sea of Galilee, so they were already by the seaside. So again, this was a very uh, familiar, a familiar thing. The uh, fishermen would go into boats and they would let down their nets. And then they would start to haul in their nets. And the idea is they want to encompass fish. Because that's how they made their livelihood. And you know, a lot of fishermen, they're fishermen by choice. They love the fisherman lifestyle. They just love it. And um, a lot of fishermen today, uh, they keep their operations small. Just themselves and maybe one or two other men in the boat, they keep them small. And if they don't catch enough fish by the morning, then they stay there another day. So it's, uh, it's quite a lifestyle. And here we have in this parable a similar teaching to the wheat and the tares. You remember that 
But the wheat and the tares, uh, it's all about the devil's infiltration into the kingdom of heaven, into the church and into the millennial kingdom. It's the devil's infiltration. Whereas the fishing net, it's all about the Lord's separation. That's the, the emphasis. One is infiltration, the other is separation. Now let's look at it, verse 50, 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind. That means the good kind and the bad kind. It means the fish and the creepy things that are out there in the waters. And verse 48, which when it was full, so no fisherman would pull in the net before it's full. That's silly. He would wait until it's full and then pull it in. Same with the kingdom of heaven. The Lord has a timetable. That's why Jesus hasn't come back yet. Folks, there's still time. We're still trying to, you know, cast the net and draw the net. We're still trying to see people saved. And believe me, we're, we're working every week toward this goal. Listen, I really hope with all my heart that you will seriously give some thought to coming this Saturday. Apparently, it's supposed to be great weather. And helping us to put these gospel tracts into mailboxes. Right now, we're seeing about 5%. 5% for every 100 gospel invitations that go in the mailboxes. Five of those people are going on the internet and going to GodAnswersPrayer.ca and they're watching these videos on how to be saved. Hallelujah. So, I think it's great. It's evidence that it's working. And you and I can be part of this and you don't have to be a theological doctor, genius in order to do it. All you need to do is just come on Saturday, get here a little before 10 and give us an hour of your time. And just help us. You'll go with a team of people. And you know, the team helps carry you along. If you're just out there all by yourself, it can go, get so lonely and discouraging. But there's a group, a good group that comes. I'd like you to, in, to consider coming this Saturday. Come here to the church for uh, about 10 o'clock or just before 10 o'clock. And we'll... Um, get you into a team, give you some tracks, 50, 50 tracks, that's all we give you. Take you about an, an hour to put 50 into 50 mailboxes. Sometimes they're like row houses and they go really fast. But it's a lot of fun too. There's joy in serving Jesus, amen. And so, anyhow, when the net is full, verse 48, then you see they sit down. They sit down. It indicates that there's going to be a long and careful process here. Um, they're taking their time. Now, I'd like you to turn to chapter 25 of Matthew. Because chapter 25 of Matthew, the Lord Jesus here speaks of the millennial kingdom and the end of the millennial kingdom. Now, chapters 24 and 25 are largely tribulational. The tribulation hasn't started yet. Some Christians believe it has. They're wrong. It has not started yet. It is probably soon going to start. Very soon. After the church is taken out, 
the tribulation will start. The purpose of the tribulation is not to purify the church. Don't make that mistake. The purpose of the tribulation is to purify Israel and to bring Israel to salvation. Now, there will also be a spin-off effect. There will be other millions of people saved during the tribulation time. But the main purpose is get Israel back on the front burner, back as the program of God. Now, Matthew 24, 25 deals largely with the tribulation and millennial kingdom that follows the thousand-year kingdom. And so in chapter 25, please look at verse number 31. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory. There's the, the millennial kingdom. And before Him shall be gathered all nations. Now that doesn't happen at the beginning of the millennial kingdom. That happens at the end of the millennial kingdom. Kingdom, And he shall separate them one from another. You see, here's Jesus sitting down. And we had the parable of the, the fishing nets and they sat down. And so verse number um, 32, And before him shall be gathered all nations. He shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. He shall, separate the, he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. And also uh, verse 34, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And also look at verse 41 of the same chapter. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. This happens at the end of the millennial kingdom it's called the great white throne you can read about it in the book of revelation in chapter uh, 4 of second timothy second timothy chapter 4 verse 1 the apostle paul also indicates there about the lord jesus coming to judge the quick and the dead at his kingdom now if you go back please to matthew chapter 13 and look please at verse number 49 so shall it be at the end of the world, the angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. This is the end of the millennial kingdom. This is that the great white throne, the wicked are cast into a furnace of fire. Do they perish instantly? The answer is no, because it says there's wailing and gnashing of teeth, that gnashing refers to extreme anguish. Not just anguish. Extreme anguish. That's the lake of fire. That's where unsaved people are going to end up. I've read accounts at the end of the Second World War when they dropped the bombs on Japan, the atomic bombs, and the most famous is the one on Hiroshima and how that people within... Uh, the, the, the first, I think it was two kilometers or something, they all died instantly. And then the next ones were, were walking dead like zombies, staggering around for a while before they finally died. And then further out, they lasted still longer. But the idea is, yes, they were alive, but they were in tremendous anguish. And, and they were stunned. 
And this is the kind of thing, at least that I think of, when the Bible here and Jesus speaks of, of this gnashing of teeth. And so here the, the fisher nets, the fisherman's nets, the fishing nets, it shows how the Lord is going to settle things at the end of his kingdom. And that's why I think the Lord Jesus could teach us in Matthew 5, verses 3 to 12, all of the Beatitudes, you know, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the meek. We don't see a whole lot of that these days, do we? We see, we see churches rising up in anger, condemning our government. We see a lot of rebellion. We see a lot of behavior that looks strangely like the, how the unsaved are behaving themselves. There's no patience, there's no love, there's no forgiveness. There's judgment, there's condemnation, there's a lot stronger language coming out of some of these so-called men of God. Hmm. Well, we have to hurry along here because our Lord Jesus gave us the second parable. And it's in verses 51-52, it's the householders. So we see the parable of the fishing nets. Again, it's how it the kingdom of heaven relates to the, to the disciples and how the Lord Jesus is going to finish things off. And so look at verse 51 now, if you will. Jesus saith unto them, Have ye understood all these things? They say unto him, Yea, Lord. Now that's a key, and I've stressed this again. It's a key. Verse 52, Then said he unto them, Therefore every scribe, which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is an householder, which bringeth forth out of his treasure things new and old. And so, because the, Lord Je- because the disciples understood the Lord Jesus, because they understood the parables, Jesus gave them one more to indicate how he would use them in the kingdom of heaven. And so he says in verse 52, every scribe which is instructed in the kingdom of heaven. Now a scribe is, was, still is, a religious teacher. A religious teacher. And this is what the disciples would become. They all became, well except for Judas, they all became teachers of the truth. Religious teachers. It says here, Every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven. These are saved instructors. Saved, born again, saved teachers of the Bible. Well, such a one is like a householder. A householder is simply a person with a house full of things. That's what a householder is. And Jesus says old things, new things. Well, think about it. In the minds of the Disciples, the old things would have been things they would have learned. Things about Israel, the Psalms, the laws of Moses and so on. And then new things, which were the things that Jesus was about to be teaching them. Now, one of those new things was the church. Matthew chapter 16, just a couple chapters after this. Jesus said to Peter, verse 18, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now there's something new. In chapter 18, the Lord Jesus talks about forgiveness within the church. He specifically talks about the church. 
And so you get all of this new teaching about the church. Later on, it was the epistles. And finally, it was Revelation, the book of Revelation, the capstone of the whole New Testament and really the whole Bible, if you will. And so the Lord Jesus used this little parable to teach the disciples how they would function within the kingdom of heaven and what they would become. I got thinking about this, you know, as it relates to you and I. And in some aspects, we are sort of like scribes instructed unto the kingdom of heaven. And we're trying to teach our children, our friends, one another, the things of God. Of course, we have to do it carefully, of course. But I I was thinking, you know, there's another application here. Because um, we are something like that householder with things old and things new. And think about it. After you got saved, all of a sudden, you had some old stuff. You had an old life. You had old sins. You had old bad habits, lies, deceit, pride. These are old things, aren't they? But then you also, you have new things too, don't you? You have, of course, the Lord Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit. You have a new life with goodness and purity and gentleness and humility and faithfulness. These are all good things. They're new things. And in your life and in my life, we have old things and we have new things. And just like the fishnets, when they dragged into shore this great big net and it was filled with all kinds of stuff out of the lake. Some good, some no good. And the good they kept. But what did they do with the no good? They threw it away, right? And that's exactly what you and I need to do. Some of that old stuff, we need to get rid of that. Maybe there's some old things in your heart or in your home, things that don't belong there. And maybe you need to do a little house cleaning and get rid of some of the things that pull you away from Jesus. Get rid of some of those things that remind you of the world and not of your Savior. And maybe you need to sit down and carefully go through your life and keep the good and get rid of the bad. That would be a good application, I would think. Let's pray. Loving Father, thank you so very much for your great love wherewith you've loved us. And you tell us in the Bible that even before the world began, you knew us and you loved us. And such truth is too wonderful for us. But we thank you that you are wonderful. You can understand all these things. Thank you for the truth you've revealed to us. And we ask you, dear Heavenly Father, to help us to sit down and do a separation of the good and the bad. And get rid of the bad. And keep the good. Cleave unto the good. Hold unto the good. To put off the old man and put on the new man, which is Jesus Christ. Help us to do that. Thank you for these parables. Oh, Heavenly Father, use us, please, in these last days of this crazy world, to help someone to come to know Jesus as his or her personal Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.